Good morning. How's everybody today? So this setup is going to be hard for me. If I knock over the projector, don't hate me. Uh, we complain about it, but it really is God's grace that we're able to meet here and worship in this school. Um, welcome to Portico Church Arlington. Uh, my name's Jason. It's my privilege to open up the Word of God with you as we do this every week. Uh, we're in Philippians. We started this series. Uh, we're working out um, what it looks like for us to live this story that we receive in faith in Christ. And we've talked about this a couple times, but everybody has a story. Uh, for us, it might be my family origin, place, my education, things like that. Uh, so all of our story has different elements to it, but here's what unites us in having a story. The question that your story is seeking to answer is, why does my life matter? And how you work that out in real time um, is going to be through pain, it's going to be through success, it's going to be through many, many different things. So we're looking at Philippians, and one of the reasons why this is going to be helpful for us is because it's written by presumably the happiest man in the Roman Empire who is under chain, right? He's locked up in Rome, most likely, and he writes this letter which has a major theme of joy. So he has no right to do that. So we need to learn from him. So our hope is we will understand, like the Apostle Paul, how joy comes when I understand that my story, whatever it is, no matter how tragic or how good it is, however difficult the season is, or maybe it's just an awesome time, my story in Christ is a movement or a stanza wrapped up in the story of God. When you believe that, you have joy. Right? And it's a joy that's not fleeting. So that's where we're going. Um, and as I was preparing for this sermon, because of the content, it reminded me of a vacation that uh, my bride, Christy, and I took a couple years ago. Right, This is that time. It's late May into June. People are traveling. Uh, we got to kind of do a trip that we just impacted us a great deal. We went over to Spain, and there's a there's a, a thing called the Camino de Santiago. It's a trail that, it's an old one, right? It started, I think, somewhere about 1100 or 1200 AD, and it was an actual pilgrimage. And the original way of St. James probably started somewhere in, in France, and that's where we started, and it goes for 500 plus miles across, yeah, this, it was a pilgrimage meant to like work out penance, but it's beautiful. It, there's the wheat country, the wine country, the cheese country. So you're walking through this, takes about 35 days if you do it right, and you end up at this large cathedral, uh, uh, Santiago de Compostela, and it's, it's where you end up. So we did that, not as a pilgrimage, right? We, we believe that our, our salvation's in Christ alone, but we just wanted to do it. So one of the highlights of this trip, this is so good, there's an actual monastery in a little village, and they make wine, so that's good. It, it gets better. They believe, and they've done this for a long time, that one of the ways that they encourage and support pilgrims on this journey is they have a fountain on their monastery that just runs wine. I'm not joking. I see you guys like booking flights to Spain right now. Like, I know where I'm going to find joy. They have, it, one has water and one has wine. And so it, and there's a plaque there. I can't exactly remember what it says. I wrote it and it says, Pilgrim, if you wish to arrive at Santiago full of strength and vitality, have a drink of this great wine and make your toast to happiness. My response is, okay. I'm going to do that. So you come up and it's, it's that crazy. You just have to, 
pour wine into a cup and drink it. You can't take it with you, and it's actually broadcast so people can watch you if you're going to be a fool. Um, but it's there. While we were there, um, another, it was just Christy and I, this other pilgrim came up. He was a young dude from Britain. And he's like, hey, is this the place where the free wine is? We're like, yeah, this is it. Uh, I won't tell you how long we were there. And he didn't have a cup. Now, my bride, she was ready, right? She had like a tablecloth and she had one of these like cups that just pops out and, and accordions out. She's like, here you go. It actually looked like a wine cup. So she was ready to go, right? She, she doesn't bring a knife to a gunfight. She's ready. She, she's ready. So he didn't have one. So he's, he's like, well, I don't have a cup. So Christy's like, oh, well, take one of ours. She's like, no, actually there's a cup in the trash. And so he pulls out a cup in the trash, kind of swishes it out and drinks his wine and moves on. So answer me this. He knew about the wine fountain. What kind of person hikes the Camino knowing there's a wine fountain and doesn't bring a cup? I, mean, I love Great Britain. I love British people. But what, I mean, what we were asking, what, did you, you knew about the wine fountain? Yeah, just didn't bring a cup. Man, when it comes to your joy, friend, you're either at the wrong fountain or you show up with no ability to contain what God's giving you. You approach life in such a way that the joy that God has for you, you're not going to hold it. It's not going to stick. You don't have a container for it. What the Apostle Paul is going to give us in Philippians is not just how to wrap our story up in our faith in Christ, but how to hold joy. Everybody wants it. Right? And sometimes we have these moments of clarity and these fleeting moments we experience. So nobody wants their story to end in meaningless disaster. We don't want that, right? We long for happiness. Everybody wants it. We don't want our story to crash. But man, we do not know how to hold it. This is such a practical text today. Now, last week we learned that it was because of God's good work that our story ends well, no matter how bad your story is today, your, your story is going to end in glory. So that's good to know. But this is such a practical text today. Um, we want to understand what it means to learn to live our story in a way such that we can contain joy. So let's go there. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 3 just to kind of get a little bit of a runway. We're going to really not talk about anything but 7 through 11. But just remember, this is a letter written to a church that has conflict as most of the New Testament is. And watch, man, do you think Paul is just some detached doctrinarian? Have you been taught that? Listen to this man. He's gushing. He's writing to the Philippian church. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Here we go. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you, for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent 
and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Is there a worse tragedy than not knowing you are the fountain of life, that you are living water? Help us to understand, Lord, to contain and to hold the joy you have for us. Show us where to get that, Lord. As we open up your word today, we give you this time, and we pray that you would open up your word for us to behold its beauty and its treasure, Lord, and that you would have it open us up, Lord Jesus. Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you give us understanding and wisdom? And more than that, Lord, would you let us leave here transformed people? In the name of Jesus, amen. So it's love. Did you catch it? Kind of implied. Love is going to overflow into joy in your life. That's going to happen. One of the things that Paul is telling them is if you want to have contentment, if you want to walk in joy, you're going to love. So it is love that overflows into joy. Um, first and foremost, you need to understand that joy comes from God. We know that, yes? You, but your experience of that is going to be dependent on your willingness to love others and to be loved by God. Psalm 1611 says this, speaking of God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So first things first, if you're going to experience joy in real time, you have got to learn to be loved. If God's love for you is abstract or you know about it or you've heard about it, but you will not allow yourself to be loved on a continuous basis by God and understand what that means, you will not be able to hold on to joy. Uh, the Apostle Paul says as much in Romans 8. He begins Romans by saying there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he ends chapter 8 saying there's no separation. Right? If God has set his love on you, there's nothing that can separate you from that. Who is condemned? Christ Jesus, the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors for the, for the, through him who loved us us. So the foundation of your joy is this. Will you be loved? Now, I'm not talking that you know that God loves you. Pretty much everybody knows that. Will you allow yourself to be loved by God in Christ? If God's love is not something that's real to you, there's no joy. Let me tell you that. You'll spend your life trying to earn God's approval and never learn to walk in it. So being loved by God is this. You have got to wrap your head around this idea. God does not love you because of your goodness. If you're convinced that you're one of the good people, that basically you, you try to obey God's law, you try to do what's right, and because of that, God's just going to give you a break, then you do not understand the gospel. You are not one of the good people. God loves you, and that love is evident not because of your good works, but the good works of Christ on your behalf. 
Now, if you want to add your works to that, and then you will convince God to love you, again, you're misunderstanding the gospel. It is the good work of Jesus Christ on your behalf that is the evidence and the action of God's love for you. So first, you have to learn to be loved. That has to be real enough to you that that can be your confidence. And secondly, you have to practice love. This is where it starts to get practical. So you have to love in a way that experiences loss. Um, For the Apostle Paul, I mean, he was over the top for this church. So just listen to the, some of the language he has in speaking about his love for this church. Verse 7, I hold you in my heart. Verse 8, I yearn for you with all the affection. That word actually means guts. So this is internal to him. This is in his soul. I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. So this is practiced love. He had a lot of reason not to focus on anybody else but himself. He's in jail. His ministry's gone. His life is over. And his focus is on this Philippian church. So he's practicing love in such a way that he experiences loss. And for him, this just overflows into joy. He has joy for how the Philippian church is responding to the word of God. He has joy that he gets to partner with them. He has joy that they partner with him, right? Um, so love overflows into joy. You have to understand and walk in what it means to be loved by God according to his work, not yours. And you have to practice love. So let's look at this in a very practical way. How do we do this? If your joy is so dependent on you experiencing God's love and then loving others, if it's so dependent, how do we do this? He shows us. So we're going to talk about that. I want to walk through, and this is right from the text, seven qualities of a love that overflows into joy. Some of these are going to resonate with you because you're good at them. Some of them are not. But think of these as kind of a big funnel. They start big and they get very, very precise. So let's walk through that together. I hit it again. Um, Seven qualities of a love that overflows into joy. The first one is a love that's filled with passion. I don't care what you say about the Apostle Paul. This man has passion. Now, a lot of times we reserve passion for our vocation or our job. Like we want to have a job that that is an outlet for our passion. That's great. If you can get it, good luck. It's very difficult to hold on to a job that is going to hold your passion for the rest of your life. So probably don't waste your time too much on that. Love with passion. The way he engages this church is is extreme. He's a transformed man. He loves them. So... Passion always engages your emotions. And listen to what he says. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you. So in faith, a lot of times we try to minimize our emotions because they'll lead us astray. Okay, I get that. But he doesn't minimize his emotion. He checks them. He says, no, it's right for me to feel this way about you because you've been a partner with me in the gospel from the first day until now. I see the work of God in your life. So he he checks and wraps his emotion around what is right. I mean, let, let me just ask you this. Do you worship Jesus with that kind of passion? Are you stirred? And you might say, you know what? That Okay, I'm not a passionate person. I don't really think Paul was either. Does how God loves you, does that stir passion in you? So much so that you want to experience it over and over and over and you want people to see it and you want people to experience that love as well. Do you have that kind of passion? 
So people will tell me, no, I'm not emotional. And then I'll go to a baseball game with them. Man, they will scream. They will jump up. Let's say, I don't really raise my hands in worship because I don't really get that. And then we're like at a concert. We're like, you know, front, like screaming. God gives you the ability to experience him in passion. Did you know that, you know what oxytocin is? Not oxycontin. Oxytocin, it's produced naturally in your body. It's called the love drug or the bonding drug. Um, kids get a lot of it uh, from their moms during the bonding process the first three years of their life. But it, it comes from touch. It comes from connecting. Uh, it builds bond and helps to build relationships with one another. Did you know that uh, somebody that knows a lot more about this than me told me that when you raise your arms, especially when you're listening to music, especially if you're singing, it releases oxytocin. Can I just tell you how easy God has made this for you? Do you know that he's designed your body and your mind in such a way that you can pour yourself into passion in him? So if you're going to have a love that overflows into joy, first one, you have got to have a love that is filled with passion. And for you, you maybe you're a less passionate person, but there's a range there. So pour into that. Secondly, it's a love filled with partnership. Um, verse 7 says, it's right for me to feel this way because your partakers are partners with me in grace. And then he gives them two ways that the Philippian church has partnered with the apostle Paul. The first is in his imprisonment. And also in his defense and his confirmation of the gospel. So think of these things as the worst of times and the best of times. Because of Paul's story, he wants nothing more for people to see the glory of God at work in their life. He wants to confirm the gospel that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. He's the one that God has sent. There is salvation in his name. Right? We can have we can have everything in him. He wants that. He wants to defend that. He wants to confirm that. And they were partners in that. They actually resourced him. And now he's in prison. And they're continuing to resource him. Now, especially in this culture, that's shame, buddy. You don't really hang out with people that have been to jail in the Roman culture or they're in jail. That, that would shame the Philippian church. Love is loyal. They don't back off of him. They continue to resource him um, it, it's more than just that. They have a shared identity, right? They, they know that they belong to, to God through faith in Christ, right? They understand that their story is united together. Um, it's a shared mission together and shared suffering. Just like we said last week, nothing creates a bond like when we suffer together. This was happening. So it's not just a love filled with passion. It's a love filled with partnership. Um, does your love of God, being loved by God, those who love you in Christ, does that put you in a position in your life such that you will partner with them, that you will partner with them in, in various ways, that you will actually experience loss in real time for them. You will leave resources and time and maybe even your reputation and your good name because you want to love someone in Christ. You'll actually risk being misunderstood You'll be willing to absorb the cost in a relationship um, just because you love them. Like, is that there? Love is filled with partnership. Three, love is filled with prayer. Um, verse nine starts a prayer. Paul is praying for this church. As I was reading this this week, I was wondering this to myself. Um, what would happen to this church if God said no? If he, if he did not answer the apostle Paul's prayer in the affirmative. Look at what he prays for them. It destroy them. So love filled with prayer. It lifts up the needs of others. Now, 
notice this. Paul's in chains, but he's absolutely, he's confident of this one thing. His prayers are not chained, right? His prayers are off the chain. Like, they're going to do things. He knows that when he prays, it's going to work. He doesn't presume upon God. He trusts in God. But this man has lost everything and the ability to be in shared space with people and to give to them and to preach them, to talk to them. He's responding via letter, but he's praying for them. You know what this does when you partner in prayer with people? When you have a love that is filled with prayer? Here's what that does. Um, Some of you invest in the stock market. If you buy a stock, what do you do? You check it. (laughs) Why do you check it? Come on, somebody say it. Yeah, you guys are afraid. You check it because you want to make money, right? You want your investment to grow. You want how you have put skin in the game. You're a shareholder in this company. You want it to grow. Just be honest. When you are invested in prayer, when you partner with prayer, when you have a love that's filled with prayer for somebody else, here's what happens. You start watching them. In a good way, right? Not creeping. You start watching their life. You want to see the grace of God take off. And many times God will encourage you and make you more a part of their life, almost like answering your own prayer. So when we partner in prayer, it connects us to people in ways that we would not connect if we were not praying. So you become an investor in their life. Um, you know, as Pastor Johnny Reeves said, we have a partnership with Bethel Gospel Church in Hyderabad, India. Um, you're going to hear more about that today, but we love that church. Um, they have probably almost 300 orphans in all their campuses, and we know a lot of them. We've gone there several years. Um, I got an email from Mary Priscilla, who runs the orphanage, daughter of Pastor Siddhakar. And this is what she said. Just listen to it. Dear Pastor Jason, we need you at this sorrowful moment to be praying for us. Swapna has died. And we know that we will be strengthened by your immense prayer. One of these dear daughters got sick. I mean, and we know her. We've seen her. We love her. Man, we don't even do this, do we? You know what impacted me about her email? She actually believed it. She believed it was critical to Bethel Gospel Church for the healing of these orphans, to deal with the grief, deal with the sadness and the fear that's going to come out of seeing one of their sisters die. She's like, you got to do something. You got you to join us in the heavenlies for this. Like, We will be strengthened immensely if you can pray for us. That's partnership and prayer. It came from, she's throwing it out there, right? For us to pray for them. Um, yeah, so you, if you're going to have a love that overflows into joy, you have got to partner in prayer. It has to be partnered in prayer. Number five, actually number four, I almost skipped one. If you're going to have a love that overflows into joy, it has to be filled with knowledge. Love is not an emotion, is not just an emotion. Love's based on knowledge. And you need to understand that. Um, it doesn't just engage your emotion, it doesn't just engage your passion, it engages your intellect. If you have a faith or a love for God that doesn't engage your intellect, then I, I think you just have a worldview or a set of ideas. You don't have a relationship. 
Because when you want to grow in your relationship with somebody, what do you do? You spend time with them. You listen to them. You are not going to know God unless you engage the way he reveals himself to you, which is through his word. You're not going to grow in your love for God unless you continue that feedback loop into prayer. So God gives us this. He gives us true knowledge about himself and about life, about faith, everything that we need in his word. So do you engage it? Um, think about how much time your eyes spend looking at words every week. Hey, we can do this. I don't have my phone in my pocket, but screen time report. Look at it. How many minutes per day or maybe hours per day do you look at your screen? Now, let's just do a quick experiment. Does that, how much time do you spend looking at God's word or worshiping? Is it even close daily? Is it even close? Right, we're going to have no excuse. All right. So a love filled with knowledge. If you're serious about joy, if you're serious about your relation with God, you must stretch your intellect with what God has given you. Um, and, it, and it's like this. It's going to tell you what's right. Well, I don't want anybody to tell me what's right. Now that's right. You don't. So a lot of times we will, we will cheer and yay until something in the word really conflicts with us conflicts with my experience or conflicts with my sincere, authentic desire. Now I don't want it. And you have got to let God walk you through that. So you have to have a love that's filled with knowledge or else it's not going to be love anymore. Uh, Number five, a love filled with discernment. So if you think about knowledge is like what's right, think about discernment as what's best. Have you ever met somebody who they just know a lot of information and man, they can just beat you over the head with the Bible? Yeah, me, right? Maybe. So they know what's right. They're extremely intelligent. They can walk circles around you, but they don't know how to best approach you. They don't understand wisdom, right? James tells us to pray for wisdom. God is, is, he has it. He'll give it to you. Humble yourself and realize you don't know as much as you should know. And if you do know what you should know, you don't know how to use it. You don't know how to apply it in your life. So knowledge without discernment is, can, can be a weapon or it can be wasted. So use discernment. Understand what is best as you're approaching people, as you're approaching life. Uh, again, I'm going to just say this. Let's redefine love for a minute in context of relationship. Because sometimes we will use, we will throw this love card down and say, well, I don't want to say that to that person because it's really going to hurt their feelings. It's going, to destroy, it's going to destroy their emotions. Okay. But is it loving to withhold that conflict? Is it loving? Is it truly going to help them to just ignore it? It's not hurt their feelings? You guys are bad at this. We're all bad at it. See, God gives you discernment and wisdom. Do it in a way that's kind and honest. Don't beat them up. Don't think you're better than they are because you're not. Maybe in one area you are. So don't come with a sense of, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, you should know better. Love them. Like, love them enough to be misunderstood. Love them enough to create conflict discernment does that. And oh, by the way, he's speaking to a church that's in conflict. Number six, a love filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now it's a little bit hard to discern exactly what the apostle Paul means by that because he doesn't qualify it. But based on the context of this verse and this passage, 
It's not just positional righteousness. Do you know what I mean by that? If we are in Christ, if I'm trusting in Jesus, one of the things we know that it does is it blots out or wipes away sin. And not only that, it puts me in a position before God where I'm right or righteous before him. Not because of my work, but because of the work of Jesus. I receive that, or my open hand to receive that is faith. That's positional righteousness. So he's not, I don't think he's talking about that. I think he's talking about practiced righteousness. Is your life producing a harvest? And he's talking about the day of Jesus coming back. So when the day of Jesus happens, when God returns, when Jesus returns, or you go back to him, will there be fruit in your life? Will, will the righteousness that you have through faith, will that have motivated you or empowered you to actually walk in that righteousness? To be transformed by Christ. Like, is that real to you? Do you have a love that will actually do the work of bearing the fruit of righteousness? Because you're going to lose and it's going to be hard, right? It's difficult. Um, Verse 10 says, so that you may approve what is excellent. That means you actually know what's most valuable. And so be pure. That's the light of day. In other words, Are you letting God's judgment drive your judgment? Especially with how you live and how you don't live. Like when Jesus returns, is your life going to pass light of day? Like, well, I'm saved, so what's the big deal? You're killing your joy. God God has called you to himself that you might know him, yes, but learn to walk in Christ. If that's not serious to you, if that's not real, man, he's given you soil to farm and he's given you a life to plant. Um, He wants to see fruit in your life. And blameless, this is one of the reasons why. You're going to have an unburdened, do you want an unburdened conscience before God? And here's what I mean by that. I don't want to waste anything. I don't. I don't want to waste anything, any experience that I have, any friendship that I have, any season of life that I have. I don't want to waste it. Um, I want to learn to trust God in all seasons that he might bear fruit. He might bear fruit. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, many times, I think, if you're honest, the reason that we disobey God is because we honestly believe we're protecting our joy. Like, I know, I'm not perfect, and there's this one thing, and like, I I just, that's got to be for me. I've got to define what's good here. I can't trust God for that. You know I can't. And we've convinced ourselves we're actually protecting our joy when we're actually just, we, we can't even hold it. Like, our joy is coming from Christ. Um, I mean, yeah. Is there some sincere desire that you just absolutely, I mean, I'm just not convinced I can give that to Jesus? fruit of righteousness. Number seven, it's a love filled with God's glory. Notice how he ends. Um, He says, fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus, right? So it's from him to the glory and praise of God. This kind of love lives for God's glory. This kind of love wants this one thing out of our life. I want to live in God's grace. I want my story to be in such a way that it is telling not my story, 
but my story is telling God's story. I want people to see the glory of God in whatever minuscule way that I get to be a partner with it, that they might see it and want it. They might desire the grace that I walk in. Um, This is what it means to live for God's glory. Right? This is not love that's sourced in self. This is love that comes from God. This is not joy that is sourced in self. This is joy that is a gift from God. And it comes from living to his glory. You can do one through six and live for your own glory and be miserable. Love filled with God's glory. Listen, learning to live your story as we do this together, you're going to have to learn to love. And I can say for myself, this has been a journey. Learning to love in a way that overflows into joy, it's counterintuitive, it's costly, and for decades I just didn't see it. The logic circuit just didn't complete for me. So God is calling you to love somebody Or stop loving something to complete your joy. He wants you to be loved by him on an ongoing basis. He wants you to practice it. And he wants you to experience joy in this way. That you're going to love in such a way that it's going to fill up your joy. Um, Here's the question you're not asking me. And here's the question that I tripped on for a long time. Well, that's all good. But you know what? I'm older now and I don't really want to live like that. Because if you live that way, it's exhausting. If, I, if I'm going to, like the Apostle Paul, love in such a way that it overflows into joy, I'm already exhausted. I don't have time for that business. What about me? What about my joy? How's that going to be joyful for me? This is where the faith comes in. Faith is always going to place you in a position where you don't have what you need. Listen to what Jesus said. God, greater love has no one than this, than someone that laid down his life for his friends. Jesus has made his story about you. Do you know that? And you, you do, this is the one thing you don't need to worry about. Jesus has made your story his story. His life was about you. Yes, he was giving glory and praise to, the God, to God the Father. But he he came for you. He made his story about you. He has made his life about your story. If you will trust him for the forgiveness of sin, for walking in newness of life, for your joy, you do not have to wake up in the morning and worry about your joy. He's made his life and his death and his resurrection and his return about that. So love. Love in a way that it will overflow into joy. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, that you have given us not just the example, but you've given us the means, Lord. You have have endured the cross for the joy that was set before you, Lord. You have made us your passion. You have made us your love. Not just in emotion, but in action. You have laid down your life for us. You have taken it up and overcome sin and death for us. And you pour out your spirit on us as we ask. Lord, give us the boldness 
to receive from you, God. Let us to love like this, that we might experience your joy, Lord, over and over. We lift this up in the name of Jesus. Amen.